theyeshiva.net. Let me welcome everybody here at Fresh Start. Thank you very much, Tova. Thank you very much, Tova Korn. Thank you very much, Rabbi Yechanan Polter, my dear friends, and all the staff and leadership of Fresh Start, and of course, all the participants and all the alumni of Fresh Start. For those who are listening and don't know, Fresh Start is a major healing center in Detroit where people can feel safe and start over again and help deal with uh, the traumas that uh, we have in our lives. So thank you for bringing us together on this special evening, the night before Rosh Hashanah 5783. And I also want to welcome all those who are joining us on theyeshiva.net, all those who are joining us on YouTube, wherever you're joining us. For those on Fresh Start, this is an exclusive Zoom, so nobody can see anybody's face unless you're part of Fresh Start. And... uh, what they see on the other sites is just uh, me talking. But I'm going to repeat all the questions. Everybody will be able to understand what we're addressing. And feel free to post or to share any question you would like. And hopefully, with God's grace, we'll cover as many questions as we can. I'm going to give an intro now to this uh, very intense topic. The topic is, I feel emotionally disconnected from Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Or... I feel very negative, very negative emotions. I'm triggered in a very negative way by these days, by this time of the year. It's very difficult for me. It's emotionally extremely burdensome and maybe painful and maybe even worse for some people. And this is a special workshop, a pre Hashanah workshop for people who experience pain and anxiety and stress, especially around this time of the year, what we call the High Holidays, the Yomim Neirayim, Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Sarasimei Yom Kippur, etc. And we want to be here very real, very authentic, very compassionate, and most importantly, very open. Everybody should be able to feel that uh, you can share what's on your mind and what's on your heart. And together, supporting each other with love and lack of judgment, judgment in a negative way, of course, we can all grow and... Uh, and find deeper places of, of, of confidence and comfort and healing within ourselves. So over the next 20, 25 minutes, I'm going to address a few fundamental ideas that I think can be extremely helpful for all of us. And then we're going to go straight to questions. And as I said, everybody can ask whatever you want. There's no taboo, and you don't have to hold back from any question, okay? This is a place where every question is accepted and embraced with full dignity, and you don't have to be embarrassed or shy or think you're going to be cut down or knocked down or scrutinized or penalized for sharing what's on your mind and that's your heart. Because if, I should say this at the onset, if the whole experience of the holiest days in the Jewish calendar can only be experienced if I'm not being honest with my emotions. And if I can't share myself and yourself with your totality, then is it really worth anything? If the entire relationship that I have with Judaism, with myself, with my family, with God, with my spouse, with religion, with life, is in a way that I have to amputate 50% of my personality or 70% of my personality, tie my hands behind my back and cut off half of my heart and half of my brain, obviously it's a very, very impoverished and a very poor relationship. So 
the, the foundation of all these days is that these are days of, of real openness, when we really want to be able to open up. And openness means I open up about everything, everything that's going on within my life. Now, I'm going to say a few ideas. And I'm going to say this on the onset. These ideas will be worthless if they're heard through the brain. <laughs> I know we're Jews. We like using our brain. We like using our heads. I'm also a Jew. I know what that's about. But they're going to be worthless or almost worthless. What I'm going to ask of myself and of you encourages as much as possible to be able to listen to me, not with your brain, but to listen to me with your body. In other words, if your body can trust these words, if it could be somewhat of a somatic experience, to the best of our ability, but if you could just try to absorb this, not with another idea, another lecture, another shear, another kvetch, another pilpul, another lecture by Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, another clip, but really, if I and you can hear this viscerally, you know, with our gut, with, with, with our kishkas, with our heart, in our nervous system, it will be far more effective. Okay, idea, insight number one, perspective number one. Rosh Hashanah is defined as the day of coronation. It's the day when we coronate the Rebbeinu Shalom God as the king. And if you look at the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, that is the most predominant theme in the Shemayna Esra, and in most of the davening and prayers of Rosh Hashanah is, V'simloich atu Hashem alekeinu levadech. But what does, the, we, we coronate you. We coronate God. Ki as Shoifer says is, because that's what they did when they coronated kings. They blew, they, 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 they blew the sound, they blew the ram's horn, and the blasts represented the coronation of a new king. In England, they're now going to be, they're soon going to be coronating a new king, Charles III, and you'll see the pump in which the British do it. So Rosh Hashanah is some type of taste. It's not, it's not King Charles III. It's, it's Lahavdil, the king of kings, Malach Malchem Lachem. What does this even mean? What does it mean? If I don't coronate Hashem, he won't be a king. If he creates the world, he needs me or you or somebody else to coronate him. And I think, the most important idea is, and this is an idea that's discussed by the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shnei Zaman of Liadi and Lekut Torah, and also in other works. And the idea is as follows. The core of coronation, the idea of coronation is that God, who's infinite and therefore didn't have to create a world, says there's something in each and every individual person that is so special, that is so beautiful, that is so amazing that I don't want to be alone in my infinity. Even more important for me, even more important than me being perfect and infinite is, that I should have a relationship with you. And that's why the whole creation came about. And the whole coronation is really God's vulnerability and saying and begging and pleading. Gemara says, Hashem asks the Jews, I want to be connected to you. I want to have a real relationship with you. I'm infinite, perfect. So what can be better than infinity and perfection? One thing, a relationship. A relationship with you. So God goes out of his infinite exclusivity and isolation. It's not really isolation because there's nothing else. But I'm calling it isolation. And it says, no, I want you. The foundation is that there's something, something so marvelous and something special that he 
Hashem feels in you and me and each and every one of us and says that that relationship is worth more than anything. Point number one. Point number two. One of the biggest triggers for people during this time of the year is all the confessions. In Slichas, in the Davening, in the Yom Kippur, Ashamnu, Bagadnu, we sinned, I sinned, we all sinned. I'm not going to be arrogant and tell you that I didn't sin. I did sin and wipe out my sins and please wipe out my sins and I'm so embarrassed and I'm so humiliated. And as some of the questions that came in, you know, I have enough shame in my life on a good day. This time of the year I go to shul and the shame increases so profoundly. Let me tell you what I feel is the main work or one of the main aspects of work for every person who's listening to this program, is going to listen to this program, let me tell you what I feel. And I'm just going to say a little intro. Some of you are going to understand very well what I'm saying, and some of you are not, and that's fine. People throw around the word trauma a lot these days. We know that. But we all know that there's trauma and there's trauma. There are things in life that are aggravating, very aggravating, but that's not the trauma we're addressing. The trauma for which you came to Fresh Start to help heal, or any any method of healing that people with trauma are dealing with is a trauma that really impairs you. It's a trauma that impairs you. It's a trauma that has made you, that has injured your soul, injured your brain. And not just spiritually, but as we know, very, very practically, very tangibly, it it sometimes even shows up on the brain. It's traumas that have made us live our lives in a way that was often very dysfunctional. We cannot connect emotionally. Hard to cope, hard to trust people, always feeling judged, uh, hard to, to, to feel free, even hard to take yourself seriously, hard to, to believe in yourself, difficult to think that you deserve any love, any dignity. Somebody who does not have this does not understand what I'm saying. And you know what? Thank God. Baruch Hashem. You don't understand what I'm saying. But those of you who deal with this, it's not just you have a pain in your life. It's a pain that may have caused some of us to, to, to shut down in very significant ways and our methods of living are basically coping mechanisms, coping mechanisms, always in survival mode, very often extremely defensive and without even knowing how scarred and injured we may be. And not because of anybody's fault, not because somebody tried to do this, on the contrary. Every one of us with trauma would love to be completely free. But the trauma sits in our body and sits in our brains and often paralyzes us. I know this resonates at least with a few people. So now let me tell you something very important. I believe that during this time of the year, every time we say in the prayers, I want to confess for this sin, for that sin, I have betrayed you, I have transgressed. My, my negative inclination has overtaken me and I came so far from you. And I am guilty in all of these stuff. I want each and every one of you to understand that you are addressing the trauma inside of you. The Yetzir Hara, what we call the evil inclination, for so, so, so many in today's day, is not an evil inclination that you decided to follow your evil inclination. It's the trauma that often takes over my life and literally robs me 
from joy and freedom. I'm living with anxiety. I'm living with panic. I'm trying to please everybody. I'm fighting. I'm I'm in fight. I'm in flight. I'm in freeze. I'm in form. Whatever the situation is. When I talk about I have sinned, I have betrayed, I have been neglectful, don't, don't talk about yourself. Your core is as beautiful and as holy as it can be. I'm addressing my trauma, and that is a very, very healing moment. Because if I do have trauma, the best thing for my life, the best thing for our life is to be able to identify it. To be able to say, yes, my trauma caused me to run. My trauma caused me addiction. My trauma caused me to shut down my emotions. My trauma caused me to detach. My trauma caused me always to ruin every relationship I'm involved when the person gets too close to me because with my trauma, I feel like I'm garbage and I don't deserve to have a relationship. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't even exist. If you can do that, if I can start identifying and saying, yes, my trauma causes me to shut down. My trauma causes me to hurt sometimes my own loved ones. And I don't want to. I don't want to. My trauma causes me whatever it causes me. If I can identify that, and that becomes my confession. Instead of a confession that says, I'm evil, I'm horrible. That's exactly what the trauma wants, you should say. Don't do that. Address, address that part of me that has become unfortunately damaged as a result of abuse, as a result of rape, as a result of molestation, as a result of emotional neglect, as a result of developmental trauma, and as a result of various events that may have occurred in one's life, one-time events or continuous events, events that may have seemed big or may have seemed small, events that you may have not known about for 20, 30, 40 years, they were in the subconscious and then they recently emerged. To be able to look at that and own that, and own that, that's amazing. I know of a, of a person who's had very, very serious trauma. He's been molested by his father for years, and it affected his whole life, his whole life terribly. And in his particular case, he became unbelievably defensive. He couldn't let anybody in because it was too, too, too dangerous. You know, he had to, he had to be a people's pleaser, and he had to always be perfect, and he had to perform well. And he was going through this healing process, and uh, somebody very close to him shared with him some very, very honest feedback about his life. And when the person finished, the person asked this, this, this person, this trauma victim, did you take it in a wrong way? Did you feel attacked? Because very often if somebody is in trauma, we can have the most loving conversation, but I feel attacked. Do you feel attacked? And the person responded and he said, my trauma felt attacked. I didn't feel attacked. My trauma felt attacked. And when I heard that, I gave him a standing ovation. I gave him a standing ovation. He didn't say I didn't feel, he did feel attacked, but he knew it was my trauma felt attacked. Or as Viktor Frankl said, between stimuli and reaction, there's always an, there could be a little space. And in that space is where human freedom is. 
where there's growth. If you said something to me, and I'm triggered, I'm triggered, I'm overwhelmed, I got to run, or I got to attack, or I got to manipulate, or I got to shut down. If I can create space, if I have a little space, and say, wow, 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 look at what just happened inside of me. And then I can choose if I'm responding from my wholesome, inner, invincible, divine core, or from a broken place. All the confession throughout the whole Yom Kippur and all these days, your whole Yitzhahara, remember what it is. You're addressing the trauma that has eaten up so much of your authenticity. And yes, you're asking your Creator to help you live a life not based on the voices inside of me that have been ingrained in me maybe from age 3 or age 4 or age 7 or age 8 or any age that have told me, you don't deserve to be, I don't deserve to be loved, I'm worthless, I'm meaningless, I'm a shmata, I should have died, I don't, I'm not allowed to have an opinion, I have no identity, I am a piece of shame and garbage, I am an embarrassment to myself, to humanity, to God. Yes, I want to be able to be healed from those voices. I may not be able to extricate them from my life, but if I can identify them, wow. Next point. We coronate God on Rosh Hashanah, but let me tell you something equally important. You know who else you're coronating on Rosh Hashanah? Yourself. Yourself. Because if every person was created in Hashem's image, and if the soul is called, like it says in Tanya, the soul is a piece of Hashem, it's a derivative of the consciousness of infinity, don't just think we're coronating God up there as a big, mighty king who has power. Yes, <laughs> but that's not so important. Let me tell you what is equally important, maybe sometimes more important. You're coronating the divine inside of you. God... God's confidence can't be destroyed by abuse. God's power can't be destroyed by abuse. God's inner light can't be destroyed by abuse. God's love can't be destroyed by abuse. When we say that at our core we're divine, it means that you have at your core, you're invincible, you're indestructible. Nobody and no perpetrator can ever snuff out from you your compassion, your joy, your creativity, your dreams, your ambitions, your possibilities, your vitality, your your freedom, your curiosity, your creativity, your deep, deep, profound energy and confidence. Nobody can. But who is the king in my life? This Rosh Hashanah we say, Avinu malkeinu ein lanu melech ela oto. I have no king but you. Let me interpret that for all of us tonight. Ask yourself, who is the king in my life? Who is the queen in my life? Is it Queen Elizabeth II? Is it King Charles III? Or is it maybe my trauma? Maybe my anger? Maybe my dysfunction? Maybe my pain? My trauma is my king. My addictions are my king. My detachment is my king. They rule my life. They run my life. What if you and I can coronate this year 
I have trauma. I have brokenness. But who's the king? Who is the king in my life? Who is the one behind the steering wheel? Who is the one that makes the decisions and defines how I father my children? How I'm a husband to my wife? How I take care of myself? How I deal with people, strangers or friends? Who? Is it my trauma that calls the shots? Or is it my divinity that calls the shots? When I can discover on Rosh Hashanah that I'm going to coronate my true king, and that is the godliness inside of myself. Ah, then I know every moment of my life has infinite value. I know that my being is priceless and I don't need anybody's validation. But again, I can't do it with my brain. I can only do it with my body. One final point. The day of judgment. The day of judgment. Somebody told me, Rabbi Wairway, I have felt judged every day of my life. I have never experienced a day without judgment. The judgment was so deep that I didn't even realize what it means to live without judgment because it was just part of the fabric of my existence. I didn't even know what it means to live a life without being judged. This person felt judged and still feels judged constantly by everybody. Somebody walking in the street, you don't even know them. I'm judged. Because the judgment comes from such a deep, deep, deep place. And I know the story that happened to him, and I understand why it's... I know the story that happened. And now we speak about Yimei Haddin, days of judgment. So I think we have to, we need to be able to work this out in ourselves. Okay? We all talk about don't judge, don't judge. We don't want to judge. Stop judging me. I don't want to be judged. Stop threatening me with penalties and punishments. And maybe the word judgment is really a real trigger, and I understand that. But let me ask you a question. And be honest with me. If every one of you is listening right now or listening later or watching now or watching later has the opportunity to sit down with somebody, and there's three things that you know about this person. And it's not you know it here. You feel it in your gut. Your body knows it. Your, your nervous system knows it. Your kishkas know it. And every part of your, every cell in your body feels it. You're sitting with somebody. Three things. Number one, this person loves you unconditionally. And there's nothing that you can say or do to them or to anybody else that will minimize the love. Number two. This person doesn't only love you as a little child who wants to see you small and cute, but this person wants to see you blossom, and as they say in Yiddish, forgins you, would love to see you fly and have the greatest success that you are capable of having in life. So it's not just, you know, I love you like this little cute thing as long as you're small and meek and cute and adorable and I can pinch your cheeks, but the moment you're big and strong, I hate you. No, no, no. I, I, I love you and I cherish you and I believe in you and I want to see you fly. But one more thing. This person also knows everything about you. They know every struggle. They know every painful experience. They know everything that has occurred to you in your home, in your relationships, in your school, in your camp. 
They know exactly how your brain works and how it was affected by life's vicissitudes and experiences. They know about the trauma. They know about the scars, the injuries, the wounds, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. And therefore, when they see your strength and your courage, they're the first ones to give you the greatest standing ovation. And now they come over to you and they say, let me hold your hand and let's go through your life together. And let's identify the decisions you have made based on the pain that has been caused to you by others. And let's see how together we can create a future that is much more powerful and much more brighter. Tell me, friends, would you welcome such a conversation? (laughs) Or would you say, no, 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 I don't like to be judged. You all know that if I could be sitting in the presence of somebody who I know really knows me and doesn't judge me in a negative way because they're crazy about me, they want to see me love, and I can feel it, I can feel it. Now, many of us can't feel it because we never did. And we model God based on our father or based on our mother or based on our teacher or based on a community leader. And therefore, the moment we hear God, we're triggered in a very negative way. But I am asking you, I'm asking you, I'm asking myself to expand my horizons. Let's expand and ask, what if I could sit with somebody and I can really feel that every word they're going to say is coming out of absolute acceptance, an unbelievable connection, and I can really, really trust them with my darkest and most sinister and most vulnerable and scary parts. And they say, let's go through your life. Let's go through everything, the good and the bad and the ugly and the painful. Let's go through. That type of judgment, I would cherish. (laughs) I think everybody would cherish because it's such an opportunity for growth, but only if it comes from that space. So the Baal Shem Tov said that Hashem loves every person, every Jew, more than parents love an only child that was born at a time when they didn't even think they can have a child. We say it every morning, Avas Oilam Ahavtanu, or Nusach Ashkenaz Ahavarabah. And that's authentic. That's real. That's real. So my dearest friends, my dearest friends, I want to bless all of you, each and every one of you, from the depth of my heart, and bless myself, and bless all of us, and bless all of our brothers and sisters, wherever you are, that we should be able to have the courage, and the confidence, and the support, and the assistance from ourselves, from our own inner selves, and from the people around us, to be able to really create new neural pathways, expand our horizons, open ourselves up to the true infinite value and depth of our existence. And this Rosh Hashanah, coronate the God in you as King, the infinity in you, the love in you, the beauty in you, the holiness in you, the splendor in you as King. Recognize that God's coronation is all about the infinite value He sees in you. Also have the ability to recognize all those parts of me that have been dictated by my traumas and therefore the mistakes and sins, quote-unquote, that I have made, not in terms of blame, but in terms of identifying what is happening in me. And finally, really recognizing that a day of judgment in this case is a day of absolute honesty, 
honesty with every part of me in the presence of the one who loves me infinitely, who wants me to blossom infinitely, who I can trust infinitely, and who knows everything about me. This doesn't mean that I understand everything that happened in my life and why it happened. There's a lot of pain. We all have a lot of pain. But if I can really trust that my core self is trustworthy, and therefore I can open myself up to those people and those realities who are trustworthy and not cut myself off from reality forever, then that will, with God's grace, give us all a year of so much more clarity and so much more creativity and so much more compassion. And I bless each and every one of you to be able to find all the healing that you really deserve, all the healing that is already inside of you, but that you should really be able to internalize it, to experience it, to embrace it, to live with it, and to be able to show up to life with your infinite beauty and creativity. Amen. Thank you very much. Beautiful question. Beautiful question, Tova. Thank you. The question was, why am I apologizing for mistakes or things I did, maybe sins or transgressions or hurtful things, and I'm apologizing to God when I did all of these things because of the trauma, maybe he should apologize to me. He allowed it to happen. He should apologize. Why am I apologizing? As though it's my fault. I did it. I was two years old. I was seven years old. I was five years old when the person says, when I was this child, this girl, or this boy was molested or physically abused or emotionally neglected, or whatever pain they experienced and injures, well, they didn't even know it's happening. They, they relegated it to their subconscious and their whole life, the trajectory of their life has been defined by it and they're having panic attacks, so what they should apologize for being stressed, for being anxious, for being depressed, for running to different habits that help them cope and run away. Excellent question. Thank you. Did I rephrase your question correctly? Excellent question. Right. Many, as you say, many people couldn't keep Shabbos anymore. Somebody was raped on Shabbos in synagogue. They can't keep Shabbos anymore. They're supposed to apologize for that? They didn't do it. Somebody ran to addiction because they had no way of living. They wanted to kill themselves. So they started to drink excessively. Are they now apologizing for it? Life should apologize to them. The one who did it should apologize to them. Let God apologize to them, huh? Right. People, uh, here's another question. People use electronic devices on Shabbos to run away from their misery and their agony. And then there's terrible guilt because it's a violation of Shabbos. But one second, why are you identifying my sin? Why don't you identify my pain? The sin came as a result of the pain. Excellent question, and thank you for the candidness and the bluntness. And I want you to hear what I'm going to say, and more importantly, I'm going to ask for something strange. I'm going to ask everybody to believe what I say. (laughs) I, I can't ask you to believe what I say, but some of you know me, so you trust me at least a little bit. So I'm going to ask you to really believe what I say. The apologies of Yom Kippur, or of Elul, or of Tshuva, First and foremost, you're apologizing to your inner child. You're apologizing to yourself. 
Apology does not mean I'm guilty. Apology does not mean I chose to destroy your life and therefore I'm apologizing. Of course, that warrants apology. But let me tell you something, okay? If I don't know how to give emotional connection to my child, I cannot be there emotionally for my child or for my spouse, for my husband, for my wife, for my son, for my daughter. One day, I may apologize, not because I chose to do something bad to them. I'm apologizing for the fact that I was hurt in a way that it caused other people hurt. I'm owning the fact that I am bigger than my trauma. When I can apologize, when I can say I'm sorry, it means that I'm actually in a much better space. It means that I'm not just a victim of circumstances. It means that I'm owning what happened to me and I'm saying, you know what? I realize that half my heart was amputated. Half my brain was shut down. My executive functioning was non-existent. I was acting like a reptile. The first person I want to apologize to is always myself. I told you, when we speak about God, don't only think of God there, up there. (laughs) Big God. I want you to think about Hashem from today in here. The Hashem inside of you means your divine core, your inner child that is as pure and as beautiful and as sacred as it gets. I'm not making this up. When we call the soul a chelek elekami mal, it means Hashem is not just, as Uncle Moshe says, up, up, down, down, right, left, and all around. That too, that too. But the first and foremost, I want to talk about the godliness inside of you, inside of me. Can I apologize to my inner child and say, wow, I'm so sorry that I wasn't here for you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I didn't know what you're going through. I didn't know that you went into hiding. I didn't know that this is how you felt about yourself. And you were covered up by all of these shells and all of these uh, uh, wax museum characters and all of these, what uh, what's called in, in, in spiritual literature, all these clipos, all these husks and shells that, that cover you up. I'm so sorry to all the parts of me like, you know, an IFS, all the parts in me that have that had this burden of becoming protectors and, and firefighters and not be able to be creative and, 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 and live out their full potential because of the pain that happened to me. The moment I can acknowledge that, not in a way of blaming myself, I am evil, I am a monster, because that is part of the abuse, but in a way of, of, of really shedding a tear with compassion, compassion for what I went through. That's the deepest form of asking, saying I'm sorry, the deepest form of saying I'm sorry is when I can have compassion and, and feel bad, feel bad for what happened with empathy. And my tears can flow in a non-judgmental way. We are used to, and I know this is hard because we're used to God is judging you. You're bad, you're bad, you have a Sahara. And I'm asking of you to start thinking of it differently. You're not bad. You're not bad. In fact, most of you, I don't even know about the Sahara. <laughs> I do know about your trauma. I want to substitute the word Sahara for the word trauma. Can I apologize to my inner child? 
Can I feel the compassion of me and for me? For the journey I have been on. And can I say, what am I going to learn from it? How am I going to be able to be there for other people? How am I going to be able to be here for myself tonight and tomorrow? That type of apology, I think, is very, very special. But again, don't listen to the word apology as, I apologize, Master, because you're right and I'm horrible. As you said, the person is not guilty. It's a different type. The word confession also is not a good word. That Again, that's why Yom HaDin, the day of judgment, is a hard word. I, I want to use a new word. I want to say the day of seeing the true me. That's what it means. The day when I have the ability to be able to see the true me, everything. And that means, first of all, my power, my beauty. And when I see that, when I see that, I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry to me, and I'm sorry to you, who, who was connected to me, who lives with me, or whoever is connected to me for what that has brought to our marriage. Imagine a husband who has been in trauma for 25 years, active trauma, or a wife, and after a lot of healing, can one day turn to her husband or turn to her wife and say, I am so sorry for what I have done to you, not because I wanted to, but because of my own, own inability to function with my own dignity. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You can't do this if you first don't feel compassion for yourself. But when that happens and the other person can feel how sincere and authentic you are and they feel the pain, it's a moment of tremendous healing. Tremendous healing. Only two questions. Just joking, yeah? Great questions. Great questions, and thank you for sharing them. Question number one, I don't believe that my parents want the best for me because I don't think they're capable of it. That was very powerful. In other words, they may want, but they're not capable of wanting the best for me. And therefore, I apply the same to God. I can't believe that God wants the best for me because I see him as an extension of my parents. And how can I help that? And number two, you know, I feel that my religion, whenever I dive in with God, it's like, oh, now I need something. So I reminded myself that he exists. And it's like I'm using him. And <laughs> that's not a relationship because I don't have really a relationship with him. And then when I need something, suddenly I discover that he exists. And how can I repair that? Both questions are very, very sensitive. And I should tell you that the questions themselves demonstrate that your relationship is very, very deep. I think you're giving yourself less credit than you imagine. And I just want to, I want to explain what I mean. The very fact that we say, I'm applying to God the same standards and the same characteristics that I apply to my parents is already an incredible sense of awareness. And you can talk to Hashem about it. Imagine Hashem as being your best, 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 best friend in the world. Someone whom you can tell everything, without holding back anything. You could tell him about every experience and every thought. You could think out loud without holding anything back. You don't have to protect yourself. 
You don't have to judge yourself. You can express everything in the rawest way as is. That's how we should talk to Hashem. Now, this doesn't mean we understand everything that He does. No, it does not. Because so much of life is mysterious for ourselves and for loved ones and for people around the world. We don't have the answer to ultimate pain and suffering. But it does mean that you can be very raw and very real and very honest. And what happens is, when you're very, very real with Hashem, all your pain, all your frustration, all your anger, all your experiences, everything, you put it all out there, including the fact, I can't talk to you, I can't trust you, I see you as an extension of my mother and my father, I don't believe that you want my good. Say it, say it, share it, experience it. That should be your davening. That's a real relationship. That's what a real relationship is. A real relationship is when you could talk to me about what you think about me and I can talk to you about what I think about you, not in my most beautiful moments, in my darkest moments. And you might be surprised because a lot of growth comes from that. Because Hashem exists always in reality. Wherever there is reality, that's where Hashem is. So when I'm very real, when I'm very real, and when I'm very real with my pain, you will find a very deep relationship there. A lot of our anxiety comes from the fact that we don't feel that we're allowed to acknowledge all of our emotions. I want to explain what I'm saying. Pain is hard to deal with, but I can have pain and will survive the pain. I may feel a lot of pain. I may feel another emotion. What creates anxiety is when I'm not allowed to feel the pain. When I start feeling guilty for feeling the pain, and now I have to play with my emotions and convolute my emotions and amputate my emotions and rationalize my emotions and not experience my emotions, and now I'm being torn in so many directions and my system is anxiety. So let's try not to feel guilty about this. You don't have to feel guilty. We have to stop feeling guilty. A major a major result of trauma is endless guilt. Whatever I do is not good. I'm always being judged. I want to tell my thoughts. You want to tell your thoughts. You know, I'm not going there anymore. I know you exist, and I know you're going to bring it up, but I'm not going to live this life where I'm always judged, where I'm always bad, where I'm always hated, where I'm always on the defense, where I always have to justify myself. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm good. I'm valuable. You don't agree? Go find somebody else to talk to. We really, you, you want to make yourself a king. You have to be, you want to be a king. And therefore you can talk to God about all of this. Take initiative. Take courage. You're not anymore a little child who can be controlled. You're a partner with Hashem. You're an adult child. Talk to Him. Be honest with Him. And then you won't feel that davening is just you're coming for your needs. You're not only coming for your needs. You have a relationship. Somebody writes here, I didn't keep Shabbos this week. Am I going to hell? I'm not going to be going to Shul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Am I going to hell? I know so many non-religious people, they never go to the synagogue. And they have a good life. It seems like the whole Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is just one big brainwashing. I hate it. I'm stopping to go to synagogue. But I'm afraid of hell. Wow, 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 wow. I hate going to Slichus. It drives me crazy. The prayers are sickening for me. They trigger me very, very badly. Should I just stay home? Or should I go to the synagogue?
Okay. So let me let me answer these questions, at least touch on them. The first thing is as follows. We cannot have any relationship with God and with Judaism that is meaningful and inspiring if we do not like ourselves. If my premise, if the premise of my relationship with God is, I am evil, I am bad, I am horrible, I am worthless, I am valueless, I am garbage, I am dirty, I am filthy, it's not a relationship with God. I'm using my relationship with God as an escape from my own pain. It's called spiritual bypassing, where we confuse spiritual enlightenment with avoidance of pain. I'm not even in a relationship with God. I'm just trying to assuage my terrible, terrible self-image. In order to have a real relationship with anybody, I first have to have a relationship with myself. So the moment Judaism is about, you're horrible, you're evil, go to Shul and you will find your salvation. Because you'll do a mitzvah and you'll go to paradise and you'll avoid hell. It's not Judaism. It's just running away from terrible, terrible pain and I need healing. So the first thing I want to encourage all of you is remember the foundation of Rosh Hashanah, the foundation of Yom Kippur, the foundation of Slichah, the foundation of Elul, the foundation of Torah, the foundation of mitzvahs is that you are infinitely valuable, that you are infinitely significant, that you don't only have to cope, that you deserve to be alive, that you deserve to be loved. That you are at your core amazing, you're full of creativity, and you're full of curiosity, and you're full of compassion, and you're full of clarity, and you're full of confidence and inner strength. Now, I may not relate to that, I know, I know, I need healing, I need healing. I may feel judged the whole time, I may just be coping and coping and coping, I may not trust anybody in the world, not even me. So your main avayda, your main work with Shoshana is to start trusting yourself. What I said before about coronating the God in yourself, I wasn't joking. That's your main work, this Rosh Hashanah. You don't have to copy other people. You don't have to emulate other people. You're good. Your main work is to be able to be honest and real and authentic and develop self-love. And this will be the greatest thing you can do, Rosh Hashanah. And you're never going to hell <laughs> because you're taking care of yourself. <laughs> you know when you go to hell? When you don't take care of yourself, you're in hell. huh? Beautiful question. It says, <laughs> I see. It says in the ethics of the fathers, Pirkei don't believe in yourself until the day you die. That's one of the worst statements you could say to a trauma victim. Let me tell this to you very bluntly. I told this to my wife today, we were having a discussion. Much of Judaism can only be experienced if you feel good about yourself. If I feel that I am non-existent. In other words, if I'm in an active state of trauma, you have to be very careful because I need a heal. I need a heal. Just like it says, Yom Kippur, if somebody is starving to death, they have to eat. And a Hatzalah member gets a call on Rosh Hashanah to drive to take somebody to the hospital. He has to drive. 
The same God says, I want you to eat on Yom Kippur. Say, no, no, I'm not eating on Yom Kippur. If the doctor says you have to eat and you don't eat on Yom Kippur, you're doing the same sin like somebody who's supposed to fast and they're eating. For you, the mitzvah is, the way you celebrate Yom Kippur is through eating. If I am in a place of very deep pain, the greatest gift you can do for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur for yourself is take care of yourself. Notice the triggers and be healing and be compassionate and realize that's what it means you're coronating God. God says, I want you, I want you, I don't want a shmata. I don't want you to feel as this horrible, horrible person. I want, I want to be your king. I feel that it's important for me and you to have a relationship. Think about that. But if I think that I'm worthless, where is this? this, this, this so the whole experience is based on this profound pain that we, we all really need to work on. So don't feel guilty. If you need to stay home to connect, it's fine. You could stay home. What is hell and paradise? Let's do a little healing with hell and paradise. I'm just going to do this in 60 seconds because hell and paradise really needs, we should do an evening dedicated to hell and paradise. Be'ezir Hashem will do it. But just one thing. Hell is not some torture chamber that God is going to throw you into because you didn't check off the list. You know what hell is? Hell is basically an ability for a person. You know, sometimes you go to therapy or you go to Fresh Start or you go to another, uh, you go through other experiences of healing and you feel a lot of pain and you say, wow, that was hell. (laughs) Hell is the ability to spit out that which has been clogging up my system. Paradise means, it's just a euphemism, for having the space to be able to be one with myself. You're not going to hell for the fact that somebody caused you tremendous trauma and you're trying to survive. That is the hell you're in. Your job is to acknowledge that, to have compassion for it. Now, you speak about the fact about Shabbos. My guess is that you're having a very, very difficult time with Shabbos and something with your devices is helping you escape. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I, I, I don't judge anybody. And God knows your pain better than anybody else, maybe even better than you. What I would encourage you is to really become curious what is happening because you could learn a lot. You could learn a lot from it. And when you learn a lot from it, you're going to grow. So we have to stop worrying about If I don't do this, I'm going to hell. God knows everything about your life. And he knows your challenges and he knows your struggles. Now try to reach out to yourself from a place of compassion, from a place of empowerment, and say, what would my life today look like if I allow the king inside of me to be my divine self and not my trauma self? In terms of going to shul and not going to shul, let it be a decision on based what you need. Maybe slichus is too hard for you. Maybe it's too hard for you. Maybe the people are too hard for you. Maybe you can go for an hour on Rosh Hashanah. Maybe you can't. So you could stay home. I would encourage you to hear the shofar or to blow the shofar. That you could probably do at your home or you can ask a neighbor or a friend to do that. And when the shofar is blowing, I want you to meditate on this. 
Tkia, do that's your innocent child. Shvarim and Trua is the brokenness of life. Tu, 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 it's the sigh, it's the sob. Work it through. And then there's Tkia afterwards. The wholeness that comes after that. And then there's Tkia Gdaila. The long blast, which is the wholeness that comes after we work through our trauma. Because there's nobody, nobody in the world that is as powerful and as loving and as compassionate as trauma survivors. As people who have taken their trauma and transformed it into a catalyst for growth. You know, all know this about yourself. So the Tkiya G'dayla only comes after Shvarim and Truas. Even if you stay home, I would encourage you, if you can, to hear the shofar. If the shofar blowing causes you a crazy trigger in terms of an emotional, uh, an emotional breakdown, then that should be reconsidered as well. Because again, safety is the most important thing. But uh, the essence of Rosh Hashanah is not to go to Shul. The essence of Rosh Hashanah is self Compassion. Hi, Gatvash. Thank you so much for taking my question. Um, my parents are very difficult, and they punished me anytime I wasn't perfect. Um, I'm in my 40s. They haven't spoken to me for a year. They only have two kids, and they cut me off. Um, I relate to Hashem, despite listening to Rabbi Jacobson's wonderful shirim for the past five or six years, I still think Hashem is like the IRS and the speeding cops. And I want to keep a low profile so he doesn't notice me and punishing me. I mean, intellectually, I could give a beautiful share that that's fine. But still, I feel like just just interact as little as possible because then he'll take note of me. And it's, I even once learned you don't say someone's name and if you run someone for the show they just have strep throat because you don't want to bring attention to the din. So I, 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 I know it's not true. But this is how I feel, and I, I don't want to dive in. I don't want to do commerce. I want to just, you know, drive within the speed limit, pay the minimum taxes so I don't get in trouble. Sorry, that's very painful. And you know what? I relate the same way to Hashem, and therefore my attitude is just keep him out of my life as much as possible. The minimum, he's like the IRS, he's like a speeding cop. I want to just drive. <laughs> very good metaphor. Drive the speed limit. The police doesn't notice me. God doesn't notice me. I don't want to have to do with you. Don't have to do with me. And life will be much simpler. Wow. It's, 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 it, it, you know, it's, it's such an important question because it's real and authentic. So first of all, thank you. Second, I'm very sorry about the fact that your parents don't realize um, uh, what a loss it is for themselves to be able to cut off a child. And, uh, you know, I wonder what they're dealing with, but whatever. They didn't reach out to me, so it's not really my business. But I know that you're suffering, and it's not just today. It's the whole life, your whole life, your relationship with them. And all I can do is bless you that you should have the strength and the fortitude and the courage to be able to know how to respect yourself and your boundaries and give yourself the attachment that you need. Because when we didn't get attachment from our parents, friends, it's very, very hard. It's very hard. King David says, David HaMelech says, my father and mother have abandoned me and God took me in. And that's my response to your last question. We all need attachment. (laughs) I don't know anybody who does not need attachment. If you're a person, even if you're a mammal, we all need attachment. Attachment is the key. The first thing the Torah says that's not good is, 
It's not good for a person to be alone. The antithesis of addiction we know today is not sobriety. The antithesis of addiction is attachment. Attachment first and foremost with ourselves, with our real selves. Not easy. Attachment with our loved ones. Not easy. I have found, and I think many of us have found, that very often, if we can view God in the proper perspective, that can become a major source of healing and comfort and attachment, especially for the one that we did not get from Am Aviv Be'imi. That's what David HaMelech says. We say it a whole Elul and most of Israel. Why do we say it? You think we created this workshop pre-Rosh Hashanah for people who are upset and, and get triggered? My mother and father abandoned me and God takes me in. So I understand that we often look at God like we look at our father. And if my father is completely detached and out for lunch and doesn't even know who I am, that's how I'm going to look at God. And I just want to get out of his way and I don't want to have to do with him, which is fine. Okay. And you know what? If you're in that space, the first one who understands it is God. (laughs) Remember, God loves you. So when God sees your pain and trauma, he's not afraid of it. He has compassion. What I would encourage you is, because it may be healing, is to open yourself up to a different type of God. And that is a God who wants your attachment and believes in you and wants you to fly, wants you to succeed. Whatever talent you have, resource you have, life you have, for me, the first and foremost definition of Hashem is the one who conceived you in love, who is crazy about you, the day you were born is the day that he said, my world and the world is incomplete without you. And look at something else. The day that he decided his new year, when is his new year? The day you and I were born. <laughs> Adam and Chava were born and were created Rosh Hashanah. God says, that's my new year. I begin life when you were born. You were born, now life begins. That's Rosh Hashanah. Think about it. My new year, my new existence begins when you, my dear child, were born. Whether it's Chaya, whether it's Rachel, whether it's Teva, whether it's Yechelon, whether it's Waiwai, whether it's Yankel. The day you were born is the day my new year begins. And therefore, I conceived you. I want to see you blossom. I want to see you succeed. This idea of avoiding him so that he shouldn't notice me, it's very cute. <laughs> it's very cute. And and you know what? Emotionally, it may feel that way. And you know what? You have to respect that. You have to respect that. I would just encourage you to realize how uh, my son does this to me always. He puts, you know when your kid puts their 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 hands in front of their eyes and they think you don't see them, right? You remember that? <laughs> You remember that? We did that as kids. You put your hands in front of your eyes and he thinks you don't see them. He says, I see you, I see you, I see you. So it's really very cute because he says, listen, I don't see you, so you for sure don't see me. So I just want to say that's possible. You know what? It's cute. And I'm sure Hashem is laughing like we're laughing. You put your hands in front of you and say, I don't see you, you for sure don't see me. But the truth is God is inside your hands and inside your chest and inside your uh, 70 trillion cells and white blood cells and red blood cells. You know, the body has to do millions of things every moment so that we should live, right? 
<laughs> the heart pumps 69 times blood every single every single minute. Every minute, you know, my, my brain has to process 600 million uh, visual bites. So there's a lot that God is doing inside of me every moment to make me live. So just realize that the relationship is very, very intimate. And the fact that we're alive every moment is a miracle. It's a miracle of love. So perhaps that can help open ourselves up more. But you don't have to judge the way you're feeling because it's a process and it's a journey. And again, it's not about the intellect, as you said. It's about the emotions. I do have to say, I do have to say, though, before you begin, that somehow on the Zoom screen, your face is right right in front of my eyes the whole time. And I saw how attentive you were. So thank you. I don't even think you picked up your phone once in the last hour and 50 minutes, which, which for a Jewish man is very, very unique, especially if you were diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, etc. Oh, okay. That's allowed. Texting Yechanan is allowed. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, this is a very painful question. After so many years of marriage and a very abusive marriage, and you don't want to talk about the mother and what she did, what you experienced, and now two children don't speak to you. And even though you want a wholesome family, still you're not getting feedback from the other side and cooperation and and how to deal with all of this. And the children are the two children that cut you out of their lives are very difficult and so forth. So first of all, I'm very sorry for uh, a very, very painful story and a painful story that's not over yet. I'm so, so sorry. That's number one, obviously. But I just want to say one thing that, you know, I think can maybe help a little bit. And that is as follows. And I want you to tune into what I'm saying because it's a little bit of a sensitive idea. If you hurt me, okay, if you did something to me, even unintentional, that was very hurtful to me. Now, the reason you did it, the reason you did it is because of, let's say, some terrible, terrible trauma that you're in. Some terrible pain that you're in. And you did, you said something, you didn't hurt me. And somebody tells me, Rabbi Waiwa, you know, you should have compassion for him because X, Y, and Z happened. I can't. You know why? I'm going to judge you very badly. You know why? Because I'm in a lot of pain. (laughs) And I'm judging you from my place of pain. And that's normal. (laughs) You know, if you slam the door on my finger... (laughs) And my finger, I'm screaming, I'm screaming, and then it was a mistake, don't judge me. I'm like, make me get out of the room. Uh, It's my pain that's responding, which is normal. You caused me a lot of pain. Now, you may need a lot of empathy, but I'm in too much pain. I'm going to reciprocate and judge you based on my experience of pain. Is there a way that I could have empathy on you? Only if I first take care of my finger. If I take care of my finger and I bandage it up and I help it and it feels better, right? Now I could listen to your side of the story. That's why only when you have self-compassion, when you have compassion for your own pain, when you process your own pain, when you really make space for your pain and feel it and cry for it and feel the pain, only then... 
when I'm, when I'm dealing with my pain, when I cuddle my pain, I acknowledge my pain, I have compassion for my pain, now I can actually have compassion for you. I can have empathy for you. I could think about it from your perspective. People make the mistake, have compassion. No, no, no. First have compassion for yourself. First feel all your pain. Cuddle it. Give it a space. Once it has space, it's dealt with, it it feels safe. Now, I could go to the person who caused this pain and actually think, wow, what have they been through? This is so important because paradoxically we think Right? If I have too much compassion on myself, I won't have compassion on you. It's the other way around. If I really have compassion for my pain, I can have compassion for you. Because my pain already has space, so I don't have to judge you based on my pain. I can judge you based on you. Now, in parentheses, I'm going to tell you something very profound with Hashem. Okay? There's a lot of pain towards God. <laughs> and because of that, there's a lot of judgment towards God. You cannot have compassion for God if you don't have compassion for yourself. Only when you have a place to take care of your pain can you then ask yourself, why would God want me to go through this experience? And you may come up with some very, very powerful perspectives. Why am I telling this to you? You get it? You're with me? You get it? So this is so important. You're in a lot of pain for good reason. You need to create a lot of space for that. and You need to take care of it, whatever you need to do for that. Then you could respond to your children from a place of empathy. They have their pain. They have been in a marriage that's been dysfunctional. They have been very affected by that marriage, probably in ways that they don't even know. They're letting out that pain on you, unfortunately. But only after you have compassion for yourself, which is hard, which is hard, can you also have compassion on them. And then your relationship with them from your side will be one of positivity, which means you won't stop reaching out. You may want to send an email once a week. You may want to send flowers. You may want to send sushi. You may want to send a gift. You may want to send chocolate. You may want to say, throw a no- send a note, I'm thinking about you. And from your side, give them the attachment and the wholeness that they desperately need so that one day, hopefully, when they can heal more, They'll be able to appreciate who their father is. But you'll only be able to do that if you can process your own emotional pain. Amen, amen, amen. It should be a year of, of, of healing and recovery. Healing and recovery. And the same is true with your relationship with your ex as well. Why do you think you did that? Why do you, you shared with a colleague at work your trauma, which was sexual by nature, and as a result, you were fired, and you can't forgive yourself for sharing it with her or with him, and they, I guess, shared it with others, and they fired you from your job. But why do you think you felt compelled to share it? Did you speak to them about their sharing it with others and having you fired? Did you speak to them about it? Okay, let me just... So you're feeling horrible about yourself that you were so stupid, and you shared a very intimate, sexual-related trauma with somebody who couldn't deal with it, and I guess they went to the people on top and you were fired from your job. First of all, I'm so, so sorry. This is, <laughs> this is a painful story. But what I, would say is, what I would say is this. It's very painful. 
But is it maybe possible that you are desperate, you're desperate for a support system and you're craving real companionship and you want to have people in your life with whom you could feel comfortable to share what's happening inside of you. And maybe your inner child is very, very trusting, like all of our inner children. And maybe, maybe, particularly, this would be my suspicion because I don't know you, maybe you're particularly want to be close to people and want to trust people and have an essential nature where you want to be attached and you want to be connected and you want to be able to be vulnerable and you want to be trusted and perhaps it was damaged or covered over and you're trying to heal that. And when you heal that, you sometimes go to the other extreme of trusting too much and the wrong people. Is that possible? Yeah. So it's coming from something beautiful inside of you and that is that you really want to be able to be vulnerable with people. You want to live in a world where we can be open with each other. And instead of judging each other, we should embrace each other. So that's a compliment for you. Because that means that if you can really find your own inner strength and resources, you can become a beacon of comfort for a lot of people. Because if you're somebody who cherishes vulnerability without judgment, that is what people need so much. So I would say focus on this mistake to grow from it and learn how can you figure out the boundaries when you do trust, when you don't trust, whom you could open up to, whom you can't open up to. You know, we live in a world where there's a lot, a lot of support, but there's also a lot, a lot of ignorance. And sometimes if I open up the presence of the wrong crowd or the wrong people, you know, somebody asked a question, I want to go to Shul Rosh Hashanah, how do I find a place that's not judgmental? <laughs> You know, I wish I could say every synagogue was not judgmental. You know, you'll walk in and the rabbi and the, everybody will come over to you and say, it's so nice to have you here. It's a pleasure to have you. Let me give you a hug. <laughs> you can come to my shul, I'll give you a hug. Whoever is asking this question, I'm in Florida. But <laughs> the point is we live in a world where unfortunately not everybody celebrates that vulnerability because some people are just ignorant and they themselves are scared. So I would focus, instead of maybe, instead of saying, you know, I'm stupid, I'm so stupid, I'm stupid, I'm stupid, maybe let's put it differently. Say, I'm vulnerable, I'm trusting, <laughs> and my trust sometimes crosses boundaries. And I want to learn from this experience of how to figure out when to open up and when not to open up. Because when you can master that and also have a very strong support system of people whom you could open up to, whether it's people in family or people in therapy or friends, etc. Ultimately, your healing will allow you to become a person who creates that safe spot for other people so that you know what people don't need when they open up, which is somebody right away running and telling somebody else and judging them. So turn your pain, I would encourage you, feel your pain, have compassion, and then turn it into a springboard for awareness and leadership. I like it. I'm going to take it easy on myself. That's a good resolution for the new year. Tova, you heard? I'm going to take it easy on my. I love that resolution. You know, people do all these resolutions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I like this. I'm going to take it easy on myself. <laughs> Very good. Very good resolution. That's, that's going to give you paradise. <laughs> wow. That's very heavy. So basically, 
your father passed away from cancer when you were one years old, and you've been carrying this grief and sorrow your whole life, and you feel that it really paralyzes you. Somebody wrote here in the chat that uh, I've been so hurt from God that he didn't protect me when I was a child. How can I ever forgive him for this? You know, how can I forgive him? And that's a, that's a huge question. Whether you lost a father or a mother or, or you were abused, how do you forgive God? And as you said, that you still feel like a child even though you're an adult because you're still grieving like a child. So, you know, this is obviously a very, very big and colossal question and dilemma. So I just want to address a few points, if I may. First of all, you know, I'm so, so sorry to hear this. It's uh, it's a very painful to hear, and I'm sorry for your loss. And I know it happened so many years ago, but it's still happening. So I'm sorry. And... Uh, sending you all the hugs and love and empathy. I would say two points. Point number one is, you know, I think it's so important to be able to allow yourself to grieve now. Maybe you didn't grieve as a child. Maybe nobody can be there for you as a child. And I think it's very important for you to do the grief work and really experience all the processes of grief. You know, the five, they speak about the five stages of grief. I think you have to give yourself permission to be able to grieve that loss, the loss of being one years old when your father passed away, and you still feel the loss. You don't have a father, you never had a father, and that's very difficult. You know, I just spoke to somebody a few days ago, not to compare, he had a father, and his father raped him from the age of four till the age of nine. And he told me that at the funeral of his father, he was crying. I said, why were you crying? He says, I wasn't crying for the father that died. I was crying for the father who died when I was alive. The father who never was there for me, even when he was physically alive. I was crying for the fact that I never had a father. I didn't have a father to die. And I was like, oh my God, what people are going through. You cry for the father you never had. And he cries for the father he had who destroyed his life. It's very, very painful. And we need to go through that grief. We have to go through that grief work with a lot of compassion for everything that caused you. You need to give yourself permission. Maybe you need support. Maybe you need to do this with somebody, with somebody who's an expert in this. But I think there's a lot that's bottled up. You have to go through the feeling of a child who's one years old, two years old, three years old, four years old. Maybe everybody in your class had a father and their father took them here and their father took them there and they went with their father here and they had a Shabbos table with the father and a holiday and Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot and synagogue and school, whatever it was, you know, and how that, how that affected you. I think it's so, so important to be able to go through that because the way out of pain is through pain. We can't just bypass pain. That's number one. Number two, I think it's extremely important after you do that to be able to also do your grief work with God. And this comes to the question of God. 
you know, we talk about God loving us and and and, and, and trusting Him, and and uh, He wants your best. And then you say, really, really, <laughs> you want my best? <laughs> so why did you take my father when I was one years old? Why did you allow this to happen, that to happen? It's very, very important here for us, as I said again. You have to have compassion for your own pain and emotions. And then, and then, don't ignore that pain. But go deep, deep, deep into it. And ask yourself a very deep question. How can I emerge from this more blessed? How can I emerge from this with more clarity? You cannot jump to that place if you don't first grieve. You cannot jump to that place if you don't first feel the pain and the compassion for the pain. You cannot jump to that place if you first don't allow the, you know, the flash flood of tears to descend from your eyes and from your heart for all the loss. But with that and after that, if you could stay there, if you could remain present without running away, without trying to avoid, without trying to minimize, without trying to be cynical, without, without just allowing yourself to shut down and numb everything out and, you know, go binge or go drink or go gamble or go on the internet. If I can stay there with that, I can even go much deeper and say, and now what? And now how can I become a better person from this? What can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? When Jacob is attacked the middle of the night by an adversary and he tries to kill him and he can't, he maims him, he dislocates his sciatica and it's morning and the adversary says, leave me alone, I gotta go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. He's a gangster. Why do you want his blessing? Jacob was teaching us when life attacks you and you almost die in the process and you get wounded in the process, Don't just run away. Ask yourself, how am I going to emerge from this encounter more blessed? Look at the adversary and say, I will not let you go until I know that I'm going to emerge from this terrible, painful encounter more empowered, more invigorated, more enlightened, more compassionate towards myself and others, more loving. I want to ask you, after the previous grief work we spoke about, can you also look into yourself and say, you know what? With all my life experience as losing a father, losing a father at the age of one, how can that allow me to use my IQ of 130, to use my sensitivity, to use my grief, my tears, my sorrow, my void, and become a person who is actually far more empathetic and a greater leader and a greater uh, empathizer because of that. It doesn't answer the question. It doesn't eliminate the pain. It doesn't tell us why. I don't think we, none of us, will ever really know why and how these things work. You know, there's a certain point where we accept the fact that the creator of the world's mind is infinite and my human mind won't grasp it. But I don't know that that should be our goal to answer why. I think our goal should be to say, what am I going to do with this experience? How am I going to emerge from it more blessed, more empowered? Listen, here's the deal. (laughs) Great question. 
who do I have to ask forgiveness before Yom Kippur from? What about people who have hurt me terribly? Do I have to ask forgiveness from them when they're people that I have to respect? Okay, here are the rules, okay? Somebody who abused you, they have to ask you forgiveness. You don't have to ask them forgiveness, <laughs> right? A woman wrote me an email, or she asks a question here on the yeshiva.net, you know. Her father molested her for years. Her siblings say that she she has to respect him and go visit him and ask him forgiveness. Is she is she obligated to? Absolutely not. If going to his house and asking him going to his house is going to endanger your sanity, and you're going to be triggered and you're going to you feel, she says she's going to have an emotional breakdown. You're not allowed to go. Your health comes first. And your life comes with respecting a father and mother means a father and mother who are not dangerous, are dangerous to you. If a father is a danger to you, and by respecting him, you're going to endanger your own life, there's no obligation to respect him. Besides, respecting a father doesn't mean that if your father raped you, you should say thank you. Respecting your father means that if you have a father who's functional and normal and behaves like a father and he asks you to do something for him, it's a big mitzvah to do it. Even then, you have to know what the boundaries, what you're obligated, what you're not obligated. But if it's somebody who hurt you so badly, then he has to apologize to you. Especially, he never apologized to you. So that means he's getting away with murder. So you have to respect yourself, respect yourself. If somebody abused you, they have to respect, they have to ask you for forgiveness. And then you'll decide whether to forgive them or not. You may not be ready. And if you're not ready, you're not ready. That's fine. It's not don't feel guilty that you can't forgive somebody who raped you. You may not be ready for it. You may not be ready for it. Remember that. You're not going to hell. They're going to hell. They're already in hell, and they want you to be in hell. Don't let them keep you in hell. That's number one. Number two, some of us, because of our trauma, feel that we always have to ask forgiveness from everybody. Our default mode is, I'm guilty, I'm bad. I'm walking around, I have to please everybody, okay, and I have to apologize to your apologize. It's important for us to go into a mindset and say, I had enough. You know, if I hurt somebody, I should apologize, yes. If you hurt somebody, if you insulted somebody, if you did something inappropriate, even by mistake, you know, again, I slammed the door at your finger. A person came over to me the other day in shul, and he said that he came over to me and asked me a question, and I was in a rush, and, you know, I ignored him somewhat, and he felt very hurt. He felt hurt that I just, you know, ignored him, and I just said, not not now, like, and he felt very, like, you know, brushed off. And I realized he was hurt. He was hurt. Did I have intentions to hurt him? No, I had to go somewhere. I was in a rush. Maybe I, you know, came across a little aggressive, so I apologized. If you can apologize to somebody and, and, and clean up the ear, it's always a good thing to do. Don't get petty. Don't be small-minded. Don't say, no, you're crazy. Let it go. It's fine. Apologize. But if somebody abused you, if somebody raped you, if somebody molested you, please give me a break. <laughs> now you're apologizing to them for what? For ruining your life? For causing you to be in therapy for 25 years? I, I don't understand. What's this cruelty? First they murder you, and now you have to apologize to them. That's ridiculous. So we generally have to let go of this mindset that I always have to apologize. I always have to apologize. I'm like, never enough. If there's somebody I did something wrong to, by mistake or intentionally, I had a bad day, call them up, apologize, say I'm sorry. That's a beautiful thing. We should all do that. 
but know your limits, okay? You don't have to apologize for living, and you don't have to apologize for existing, and you don't have to apologize for having dignity, and you don't have to apologize for being a person. You do not have to apologize. Okay, thank you so much. The last couple of words tomorrow night, we're all walking into Rosh Hashanah, a couple of practical (laughs) steps for all our fresh start. I mean, this was amazing. The questions were, you see the real people who come to us, the real pain. Very real questions, thank you. Very real questions. And I think we tried to address many of them. Um, uh, many of them, both on the in the Fresh Start chart, chat and in the yeshiva.net chat uh, comments. I know I didn't address all the questions, but I think we addressed a lot of them and gave some perspective, hopefully, that can be applied to other situa- other specific situations. The only thing I would uh, just, you know, conclude with a final, final few words as we go into this new year is you don't have to be a certain person on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. All you got to be is yourself. <laughs> authenticity, authenticity, authenticity. It's not like, oi, tomorrow's Rosh Hashanah, and I'm so detached. I am so traumatized. I am so emotionally disconnected. I am damaged goods. I'm not Jewish. God hates me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. Rosh Hashanah means that God comes to you and says, I want you. That's, I want you. Imagine somebody comes over to you and says, listen, let's say you're not married yet, okay? (laughs) And a man comes over to a woman and says, listen, I got everything. I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I'm affluent. I got every comfort in the world. I'm popular, I have friends, I'm successful. But I really, all I really want is you. (laughs) All I really want is you. That's it. It's you that touches me more than anything else, and I want to be with you for the rest of my life. Do you, would you want that? And you feel their sincerity, and you say, absolutely, we're in. Rosh Hashanah, that's what it is. God says, listen, I'm the creator, I'm an infinite, I have everything. What I really want is, I want you. All I want is you. I want to be with you. Me? Me? Yeah, you don't know me. No, I know you. You the way you are right now. I want you. You know me. You know how messed up I am. (laughs) You know how many issues I got. You know I've been in therapy for 33 years and I'm still in therapy because verbal therapy hasn't helped (laughs) or maybe helped very little. Do you know how many wounds I have? I want you. I want you. I see you. I see your full light. I see your glory. I see your potential. I also see your weaknesses and I want you. And you, but I'm an addict. But I didn't do Shabbos. But I didn't come to Shul. But I didn't come to Shul in nine years. But this one, I got it. Okay. I'm not saying there's no healing. But I want you. 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 And I'm never going to let go of you. Because I love you and I embrace you. That's the message of God to every one of us on Rosh Hashanah. And I encourage all of us to say, you know what? I want to show up to that. (laughs) If you want me... If you want me, me with all of me, I want to show up to that. And may we show up with our authentic selves and without judgment and without self-loathing. 
and a beautiful and amazing and successful and healthy and prosperous and blessed year to each and every one of us, a year in which you can have real compassion for yourself and thus real compassion for others, a year in which you could feel real self-love and therefore love to others, a year in which you can reclaim your innate serenity, wholeness, inner confidence, and infinite power. Shana Tova, and thank you very much. And on behalf of everybody at Fresh Start, thank you. And a good kibbutz they are. On behalf of many of us at Fresh Start, they're asking you again. Be'ezer Hashem. We'll be together not only once, we'll be together many times. We'll find the right time, but we'll do it Be'ezer Hashem again. And everybody should have a ksiva v'achsima toiva, ashana toiva m'suki. You know, it says, one of the students of the Baal Shem Tov writes... We talk about the books, you know, the books that get opened on Rosh Hashanah and gets written down in the book, to life, to death, or the book is hanging. To... And he says, the books are open and we're the ones who write down in the books. We're the ones. That's what he writes. The Shloishah Svarim, we all have three books that we can write. I decide if it's going to be a year in which I'm going to live fully or it's going to be a year in which I'm going to be a dead man walking or it's going to be a year when I'm going to vacillate between life and death. So I encourage all of you and bless you and empower you and ourselves and all of us that we should be able to have the courage to be able to open our books and inscribe and seal our books and say this is going to be a year in which I'm going to allow my highest angels to come out in which I want to choose to show up to life fully without fear, without being timid, and without being dominated by my injuries, but rather saying, I want this to be a year in which my true innermost power, pre-abuse, can emerge in its full glory. Amen. I look forward to reading your book throughout the year. Thank you so, so much. Good night and good yomtif and a happy year. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.